Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've been saying it for a while, but we are truly in very interesting times. If you're a listener of this show, you might not have ever been an adult in a time when interest rates are increasing, maybe property prices are cooling off, because over the last 10 years, it's been pretty good. Money's been cheap, lots of government grants get into your home, but this time it's actually different. So today on the podcast, we are talking about pivoting from different investments. We're talking about first home buyers, and we'll get into a bit of trouble and talk about what to do with an inheritance. And we'll also chat about releasing money from superannuation because of financial hardships. My name's Glenn James. I'm joined by John Pigeon, host of the My Millennial Property Podcast. John, you ready to have a chat today? I am indeed. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get on with it, hey? All right. One thing we'd like doing in the My Millennial Money world is celebrating your money wins. And I want to play this message from Ben. He put a cool post up in the Facebook group and I said, oh, can you send an audio message? Because I want to play it to encourage other people about getting out of debt and getting on with it. So let's play the message that Ben sent to us. And it only goes for a couple of minutes. So here we go. Hi, Glenn. And thank you for letting me share my story about how I've become debt free over the last 10 years. So basically where it started was just after my 18th birthday, I took out a personal loan around 14 or 15% for $6,000 to buy a full drive. Now, this wasn't a need, it was actually a want. You know, every 18-year-old boy wants a full drive so they can go camping and full driving in. Anyway, that was my silly decision and that was taken out over a loan term of about seven years. So for about five years of that seven, I had the payments on minimum payments. So I wasn't really paying much of that principal down, mainly interest. That's my silly decision as well. And then back in 2020, I had basically found out that we were having another child. So we already had one boy called Oliver and we were going to have a second child. And we had a little Mitsubishi Lancer as a second car because the car that I actually bought from that loan actually blew up, the engine seized in it. So I then took out finance to buy this other car, the Toyota Prado, a bit newer and a bit more reliable and seven seats and comfortable. So it ticked all the boxes and it was also less than I wanted to spend too, which was good. And it was just before all the COVID nonsense where used car actually hit the fan So I got it about $20,000 cheaper than what it's actually worth now. I took this out on a finance loan through Toyota and that was at 1.99%. I actually worked for the dealership I bought it for at the time 
and I got a good finance rate, but I did pay the $500 deal establishment fee, which is okay because that's going to my boss that actually employs me. So it's a win-win really. And I always wanted to get out of debt and the next debt that I wanted to have would be a house loan. So I paid as much as I possibly could off this finance loan and instead of having a five-year term, I got it down to two years and ten months that I had it paid off in and it didn't have a balloon and I didn't have to pay a deposit either. And also during that time I was able to save some money and we moved across Australia as well. So I think we've done a fairly good job and now we're focusing on saving as much as possible. We've already got a emergency fund established. We're saving up for other little incidentals as well. And we're going to celebrate by having a camping trip at the end of June um, to celebrate me finishing my TAFE studies to become a nurse and also to celebrate this massive achievement being debt-free after 10 years. Thank you for your time, Glenn. So thank you to Ben for sending that story through and yeah, congratulations on being debt-free after 10 years. John, any observations from Ben's story? Interesting one, isn't it? 10 years of um, basically car debt, I suppose. Mm. He's learned his lesson, I think, is the main takeout. Um, some people don't learn for 30 years, do they? So I think he's he's done that and he's moved on. But yeah, it's extreme. And, and the first thing that came to mind when he said, it's my own fault, it's my own fault. Yes, it is um, that he, he did take that loan out over seven years and, and paid interest only and minimum repayments, et cetera. But as a, as a father of three, I take it upon myself to educate my kids to, to make wise decisions with their money and with their life. So I'm not saying his parents have failed him, but I would look at that and say, this is this is what we need to be doing, is focusing on the next generation and making sure that the Bens of the world uh, are paying cash for that six grand car and not essentially wasting 10 years where he could be taking action in a positive manner. Yeah, I want to probably just say to any new listeners that 75% of our audience do not have any consumer debt. So I really just want to encourage the 25% of you who may still have some debt that you don't want in your life anymore, just to learn from Ben's story, go and re-listen to it. Once you get on track, get encouraged and make a decision to get out of debt, you know, he said one of those loans was a five-year term and he smashed it in two years. Mm. Like it can be done. Yeah. Just slow down, regroup, make the decision that you don't want debt in your life anymore Mm, Bad and get after it. Now, if you are after a car loan, and for those who have been listening to me for some time, I used to be pretty militant on the no car loan thing, but I would rather win the behavioral war with you in terms of changing your spending habits, your spending behaviors, your banking system habits, your banking system behaviors, your spending plan, your budget. I'd rather win that war and lose the car loan battle with you because there was too many times where I would... I get a client in my office and they're all like excited to get their, you know, money in order. I'm like, all right, we've got to pay off the car loan first. Oh, that's boring. Like we're not feeling like there's progress. So I'd rather have that on simmer in the background and let's focus on the habits and the behaviors, get you up to a financial literacy level 101 where you're totally in control of your money, where you totally know where your money's going. Then you can swing back around and clean the car loan up if you want. Yeah, and I think 
Ben said it and you've mentioned it about let's make smart choices if we are taking that car loan out. So it's it's three years and it's and it's principal and interest. It's not minimum repayments on seven. Yeah, so that's rule number one. And we'll put a link in the show notes, my kind of guideline if you're planning on buying a new car or how much to spend on a car. Ordinarily, do not have more than 50% of your annual take-home income in stuff with motors. If you're a single person and you earn $80,000 a year, take away about 20 grand tax, $60,000 a year, half of that is $30,000. You would not want more than $30,000 tied up in stuff that's depreciating. 50% of annual take-home household income. If there was two incomes and there was some maybe some child support, two incomes, you know, some rats and mice that come in, add everything up. If it was 120 grand, take away, I don't know, 30 grand for tax. I don't know, don't quote me on the combined tax rates, but you know what I'm saying. The net household income, 50% for both cars. If there's a car, a motorbike, a boat, a jet ski, everything with a motor, no more than 50% of the household net income. And that's just a good guide rail. It's a good guide. My second guide rail is never take a finance term for more than four years for a car. Yep. Because you just, you know, they'll try and sell, most car yards will try and sell you a five to seven year term because it means the weekly payments are lower, which means you can spend more and have a higher value car. I would encourage you, can you put down at least 20% of the car value? So if it was a, a $30,000 couple of year old car and things are starting to normalize now post COVID, but if it was a $30,000 car, 20% of $30,000 is $6,000, right? So can you put $6,000 as a deposit down or 10,000 or put some down, put half in, save up, put half in and borrow the other half. It will just slow you down. And I believe by having 20% into the car, over that course of the four years, your car will generally be always worth what you owe on it. So if the situation changes and you need to flick the car, you can flick the car and pay off the rest of the loan. With car loans, generally speaking, if you've got one and it's a chattel mortgage, a novated lease, if it's a fixed term car loan or secured, generally the monthly payments and the interest, they're a fixed loan. So it doesn't matter if you pay it off sooner, you're not saving money on interest. So that's why if you are on a get out of debt campaign, we'll just slow down a little bit and not throw everything at the car loan because you might not be saving money on interest because you've signed the contract for a fixed term. So you just need to check that. And then what I kind of say is keep your monthly repayment around 1% of your net annual income. And this is just a bit of a confusing thing to say, but We'll just go back to the person earning 80 grand a year. The net income is $60,000. So just make sure each month, 1% of 60,000 is $600. Make sure your monthly car payment is no more than $600, providing that the term is no more than four years and it's less than 50% of your take home as a capital value. So if you use these guideposts, you should be able to really work out how much to spend on a car. Yeah, it's a little bit like borrowing capacity when we go to the bank, isn't it? When they say to you, you can lend 50 grand to go and buy a car, we, we get excited and we'll, mm. we'll go the big four-wheel drive with the, the big wheels and the roof racks and the everything else that comes with it. But yeah, if, if you've got some rails in place that you've mentioned, then it definitely um, 
And if in doubt, you're allowed to pay cash for cars. Mm. You don't have to get a car loan. Well, that's the ideal, isn't it? Well, for me, it just slows me down because I know that, yes, anyone can afford X amount a month. That's easy. But for me to part with $25,000 for a car, that's a big hit emotionally. Mm. So it will just automatically slow me down. You know, sure, I could afford a, a car loan of $60,000. Absolutely. Yeah. Do I want to part with $60,000 cash? Oh. Yeah, hurts a bit. And I reckon, you know, was it Jay-Z that said, if you can't buy it twice, you can't afford it or something like that? Don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But and there's a lot of questions in the Facebook group about, uh, I've just started having kids and this is what I'm doing to set them up or what should we be doing? Mm. Like going back to my... Um, what, what I was talking about earlier is, well, okay, if you know that your kid's turning 18 in two years, you'll probably have a good idea, then you can go and say to them, look, what sort of money do you want to spend? You need the 20% deposit as a minimum, right? And the, this is going to be the loan term. But imagine if you could save X, Y, Z, and you actually go and, go and pay cash for that car. So it's pre-framing and, and sort of reverse engineering the numbers. Yeah. And for example, if we had Ben here on the show, and someone in the early 20s yeah. said, I'm thinking about getting a car loan. Ben's been in debt for 10 years. Mm. What do you reckon Ben would say to someone in their early 20s? Get a Toyota Prado with a 50K loan over seven years at 16%. <laughs> I don't think Ben's going to say that. No, he's going to be quite the opposite. As now, good as Prados are. I've got a, well, I had a Prado, you've got a Prado. Mm. It's an expensive learning experience, isn't it? 10 mm. years of, of essentially losing money. It's the shackles that, won't enable you to pivot your life. And if you are in your 20s listening to this and you haven't already, scroll back a few weeks and you'll see an episode that I put up on the main show here, Feed um, Managing Money in Your 20s or something like that because we just want our life, everyone's life, but particularly 20s while we're setting up our life, to be as lean and as agile as possible. Yeah. Before we put a bookend on that, the amount at the start for Ben was so minor, like six grand. But the fact that he didn't pay any principal and it was just minimum repayments covering the interest, that was the part that hurt him. So it can be any number. The numbers are relevant. It's the habits that you create around it, isn't it? That's right. And just in terms of situation changing, there's a, a post that Ella put up in the Facebook group. How do you navigate the feeling when you have to solidify a loss on an investment? I started investing a year ago when I had an emergency fund, house deposit, and I didn't think I wanted to use the money until retirement. House prices have now gone up and I need the money in the investment to purchase the property. I could obviously save longer and keep the money in the investment, but then I could get pushed out of the market altogether. Housing is important to me and a priority, but my investment is down and I'd be selling at a loss, so I'm feeling frustrated with myself. Anyone felt any similar? So, We've, we've got a strategy and that's awesome. She's got her emergency fund, house deposit, investments here happening over the side. What does Ella do provided that she wants to get into her home in the coming months, but she might need to liquidate that investment? Yeah, look, Ella, you're, you're definitely not alone and, and many, many people feel similar, don't they? I think it comes back to priorities, doesn't it? Do I want a house or do I, I want my investments to perform for me so that I can then go and buy a house but then by that stage house prices may be risen and, and am I just 
keeping those investments because of my ego and I don't want to sell down on that at a loss. That's my general synopsis on that. It's like, well, okay, if you need a house and you've got the money, if you sell down your investments, then that's a big ticket item you want at the moment. So Mm. go for that. What would you say? A couple of things before we even specifically, well, before I specifically talk to Ella's question, with our investing, any capital loss that you make, and when you do the when you do the tax return each year, it'll be a capital loss. So everyone hears of capital gains and capital gains tax. A capital loss is something that you can take to the grave. And what do I mean by that? And I'll make a number up. If Ella's investment account has had a capital loss of $3,000, that would be logged on her tax return and it would roll over every year. So then she gets in the house, life's good, And then in the future, she buys another investment, it increases, and there is a capital gain on that investment of $3,000, that loss would offset the gain. So capital losses carry on. So it's not 100% the end of the world for Ella in terms of capital loss. In the perfect world, do we want to sell assets at a loss? No. But one thing, Daniel Cunningham uh, put a comment there, and Daniel's a financial advisor, a friend and colleague of mine, And for all those who love cars, Daniel races cars. Um, He's got little hobby cars. He goes to Eastern Creek and races cars. And I said, oh, I should get my millennial money to sponsor one of your cars. Uh, So he's a bandit for cars. uh, And he went to a track day with us at Eastern Creek once. In fact, I'm ranting, but whatever. When I did the Tesla day at Ludnam Racetrack, he's like, yeah, I hold the record here for like <laughs> little cars. Anyway, um, Daniel said something we talk about in investments is opportunity cost. If the investment is holding you back from reaching your goal, it doesn't matter how good the investment might be, it may just be inappropriate at this time. So I'm probably, given that there is such a savage rent crisis in a lot of capital cities, there is such a savage housing crisis, I'm probably selling down that portfolio to get into my house because we've talked about big rocks in our life and getting them established. But to soften the blow, Ella, what I'd probably do is put on a spreadsheet my house deposit. I'll make a number up. If she saved $30,000 for a house deposit, if she saved $20,000 in the investment account and there's a couple thousand dollar loss, I would factor in that loss. I will just psychologically earmark my housing deposit cash and investment account as the total wealth that I'm liquidating to put into a house and it might halve the loss emotionally. <laughs> Tell yourself a nice story. But what I probably would do, Emma, uh, search the Facebook group for FHSS, First Home Super Saver Scheme. scheme. <laughs> we didn't put the scheme in the acronym, the government, but what I would probably encourage you to do as well, search the Facebook group for First Home Super Saver Scheme Google it. There is so much information out there. We've done a YouTube video on it. I'd probably liquidate the investment, then flush it back through super in concert with your cash deposit to maximize that scheme because you can do up to $50,000 in that scheme. So good on you, Ella, for thinking strategically and hopefully you get into your house. If in doubt, don't do anything we say. Lindsay Whitehead Lindsay's a bit of a bandit in the Facebook group. We can see a little coffee coffee mug there. So regular contributor, and we won't camp on this thing, but I thought it would be important to talk about. Did the CBA and NAB just lift interest rates by themselves before the RBA decides? 0.4% increase? Does that mean they'll still pass on the interest rate increase the RBA will do later? Seems likely. 
Yeah, so you've hit the nail on the head. We're a filthy capitalist pig society, right? Banks can set whatever interest rates they want. Like a bank can set an interest rate of 16% for a personal loan, even if they're only paying 2% on it themselves. So banks and lenders can set whatever rate they want. It's called the free market. If they said oh, our home loans are 20% interest, they're not going to get any customers. If they said our home loans are only two bips above the RBA rate, they're going to be very competitive. So there could be a bit of readjusting in the background. They'll probably say our funding sources are different and blah, blah, blah. But in short, banks and lenders can do what they want with the interest rate without the RBA. Do you want to add anything to that, Johnson? No, unfortunately, yeah, they've got the power, haven't they, and will continue to do so. Uh, necessary evil borrowing money from the banks and what they say go, but we do have choice. So that means CBA and, and NAB, we don't necessarily have to go to them, although a lot of lenders follow each other like sheeps and caravans. Um, but yeah, they'll probably continue to pass it on. But there's as, as probably a, as competitive market as I've seen at the moment. If you're fluid with your loan structures, you can play the game pretty well. So I'd just say to anyone out there, uh, don't cop that rate increase on the chin. Go and continue to look. And I read an article just recently in the AFR that banks are being very, very competitive with their back book. Yes. So they want to hold on to their existing customers. And we've talked about this before. We've got an Instagram reel. If you want to jump on Instagram and have a look how I negotiated my interest rates lower, there's a bit of a script there. Get on the phone, speak with your mortgage broker. Mm. We've got to be active in this climate. If you have a mortgage and it hasn't been formally reviewed in a very, very, very long time, head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'd be more than happy to introduce you to a mortgage broker if you don't have one in your world. And just on that, I was talking to my broker yesterday and we were talking about, or he was talking about getting it through to the retentions team. So there's people at the front end. and so the then, call center team. Yeah. Or you might have a specialist person that a broker deals with and then you've got that next layer that's called the retention team and their sole purpose is to retain you. Mm. So that's the last port of call before you say, look, I'm actually leaving because what you've offered me, your retention team, not good enough. So away I go. And I'm actually going to have another swing with my lenders and I'll let everyone know how I go uh, because mm. at the end of last year, they shaved a heap off. I think I saved $380 a month. That is flipping real money. Yes. Now, as long as you don't go and spend it again. Well, definitely not. <laughs> and I'm going to have another swing at them because why not? Why not? Now, we'll have a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about making an offer on a property and if I can put special conditions on said offer. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, welcome back. We're going to bounce right into the community segment of the week, and it is brought to you by Sky Wealth. You've told us that you want to get your income insurances sorted this year. You've told us you want to protect your family. You've told us you want to get your financial foundations in place. If you've got an income, you need to protect it. If you do not need to protect it, you don't need it. And if you don't need it, why are you working? That's all I would say. Head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM to book a complimentary 15-minute conversation to see how the team at Sky can get you into an income protection policy. Today, we asked the community in the Facebook group, how are you investing in future you? Interesting. So, I, I believe that is not so much about the monetary stuff, John, but it could be I'm investing in education. So, what are we having here? So, Dev Raga, host of the My Millennial Money Professional Podcast said, holidays, promising myself three holidays per year. Ooh, and he goes, oh, by the way, I can only do this because of my high savings rate and early onset investments. I would never take three overseas holidays early in my investing journey. Yeah, that's an interesting one there. What else have we got, John? Yeah. Sophie M, prioritizing increasing my super. And Kylie Haynes says, paying up front for my uni degree as a 36-year-old. Yeah, that's awesome because I believe you get a discount if you pay up front and then you don't get the old hex and help. Jade Craws said, going back to uni for a career change and no consumer debt. A couple of weeks ago, John, we had um, a fellow, you remember John from Brisbane? He was in his 60s, the two events each year he was at our live show. We had him on the show. Ah. He went back to uni at age 40 and did accounting. Wow. So nothing is wasted. No, absolutely not. Haley Jane said, paying for a personal trainer, physio, and allowing myself extra on the grocery budget for fresh, healthy food no matter what. Yeah, that's an important one. I was only on the phone here today just quickly and and, uh, one of my friends runs a business and he has lost an employee due to uh, high blood pressure and diabetes. Um, So, yeah, you've got to look after yourself, don't you? We've only got one thing. We've only got time and we need to outlast time as much as possible. Absolutely. And uh, if you're not healthy, you might not see the end of your time. Nikita, staying in a slightly less paying role for work-life balance. Nicole said, sorting out my personal insurances. Well, I hope she's used sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Simon Thompson just started my master's and investing money from my side hustle in ETFs. See, I like that. If you're doing a side hustle, Mm. don't just put the money back into your own general revenue. Put it towards a goal, put it towards future you, put it towards something because what happens is if you're doing a side hustle and the money just going into fuel and groceries and all that, 
you might be stuck on the side hustle train. You might not be able to get off the side hustle teat. Diversification. Of income sources, yeah. Stacey said, putting my health first this year because what's money when you're in pain? 25.8. Well, she said 24.7, but yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you, everyone. And if we do an after party, John, I've got to tell you another story about this type of life vibe stuff. Thanks for listening to the community segment of the week. Brought to you by Sky Wealth, sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Let's get back into the episode. Rakesh asked, is it possible to forego first home buyer benefits for your first purchase if it's a pure investment and then claim it for your second if it's your intended principal place of residence? Based in New South Wales, if that makes any difference. Okay. So this is an example here, Rakesh, that each state is different. And what I would really encourage anyone to do before they pull the trigger on their property strategy is to search the revenue department for your state. So it could be first home owner buyer scheme, Queensland, first home buyer scheme, New South Wales. For New South Wales, for example, the website is revenue.newsouthwales.gov.au. Just make sure you're on a .gov.au website so you know it's from the horse's mouth. There are a variety of different schemes. Some states will allow you to have an investment property and then buy a first home and get the scheme. But John, that aside, because everyone's in different states, talk more from a strategy point of view when you're with a client, because sometimes a client of yours have purchased an investment property, foregone first homeowner grants and incentives or stamp duty exemptions and all that Mm. for eternity to get the investment property. So when they go and buy their home to live in, all that stuff's off the table. Yeah, that's, that's right. wild. That's it's hard to compute that one. It is. It is hard to compute, but I think it's there's no one size fits all, and it, it really does come back to what your wants and needs are at the minute. Like, if you desperately wanted to get into your own home, and and take the stamp duty concession for a moment. So a lot of Sydney and Melbourne people to try and take advantage of that is extremely hard at that price point because the threshold is is just too low to get into that first home. So that's off the table to begin with. So that's where we we say, well, we're not going to go and buy that home just simply to save on stamp duty. Yes, if we had the choice, we'd we'd not pay it. But at the end of the day, we've got to make the best decision for our financial wealth, but also our lifestyle. Now, in New South Wales, we've got the option now of paying stamp duty or land tax. And I think you can do that twice before mm-hmm. they say, no, you've uh, you've exhausted that little concession there. You need to pay stamp duty. So that's an appealing one, extremely appealing because you've, you're essentially paying per year instead of that large whack of stamp duty up front. No other state's done that yet. ACT's got this weird sort of transition concept going on. But yeah, I think first homeowner concessions, depending on what they are, like first homeowner grants, I don't mind. The super saver scheme, I, I, I think is great. But just look at your situation and, and put them aside for one moment and say, would I be doing this if the concessions weren't there? And I think with any financial strategy in your life. I always say have a strategy, however small, based on your own situation and not painting your own situation into a corner, you have to choose a path that will give you the most flexibility over the coming years. Because it could be like, well, we might be getting transferred to another state. So there's no point buying a home here. 
but we still want to buy property. So we've got to hedge our bet and buy an investment property only and forego these things and we can get a good deal with more upside on the investment. Yeah. So I think it is just about not painting yourself into a corner. Yeah, and and one example of where you might make the wrong move in that respect is you buy your own home to qualify for the concessions, but it's going to be 20K from where you would normally want to live. So you forego your lifestyle for the sake of getting the concessions only to find that your life's miserable because you don't like living where you live in the house Mm. that you're living in. Yeah, and so yeah, uh, Rakesh, maybe you need a clarity call with John and his team just okay. to really bounce your situation off. So full disclosure, Rakesh is already a client of ours. Oh, right. um, <laughs> and he was type. Uh, I was just saw in the comments that he's actually asking for a, a nephew or a friend or something that's right. trying to get in for the first okay. time. So don't worry about that, Rakesh. Yeah. But your well, friend, you, your friend yeah. might need one. That's funny. <laughs> how funny. There you go. That's how much. Um, you know, it's not really a loaded deck here with John's <laughs> advertising. It just happens that way. Hey, um, just on that, when you are planning your strategy, and full disclosure, this is a segue, uh, when you are planning your strategy, particularly around housing, because housing is a big deal for all of us, mm. right? You've got to make sure the mortgage structure and the mortgage strategy is sound. Because if it's not, number one, it can be freaking complicated if you want to change or refi. Number two, you could get screwed in terms of tax if you're going to turn the property into an investment property and all that stuff. Mm. So all that to say, we'll put a link in the show notes. In April, in the coming weeks, Rachel Kroon from Sphere Home Loans is running a webinar and we'll promote it for the next couple of weeks, all about mortgage structures, all about buying your first home, all about buying your first investment property, all the tricks and tips that you need. So we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll talk a bit more about that soon, but it'll really help you with your planning. If you're not planning on getting a mortgage tomorrow, no worries. You might just want to learn and soak up some information. So Totally. Very knowledgeable person. Elkana, what are some special conditions you've added as a purchaser when making an offer? And there was just a couple of examples there. Is it reasonable to put a special condition on to get the place professionally clean before settlement? So... I can talk from my own experience. Last year when I was looking for a house around here to buy, there was a special condition that the seller put on that said, yeah, everything's in the house except we're taking the basketball ring with us Mm. like because that was strapped onto the garage or something like that. But as a purchaser, when I bought my first property, it was a brand new property. It wasn't an off the plan. It had just been finished by a private builder. I had a bit of a pre-look at the property And we put as one of the settlement conditions that the downstairs ceiling needs to be repainted. The stairs weren't lacquered properly. So we put all this stuff in there that they would do before settlement. So it is a good way just to track anything weird. Look, you can actually, because it's such a customizable document, John. So you could, like if both people agree that a special condition is it settles in six months, if both agree to the condition, it's all G, right? Yeah, I think you've got to play your cards right, depending on what type of market we're in um, as to how hard you go with that early on. So here's what I would be doing. You're looking at the property, seeing what it's worth, and you always have an offer subject to building and pest, satisfactory building and pest, and satisfactory finance, and satisfactory review of the contract. Right? I'd never alter from those three. Once we've got those in there and the offer's been accepted, 
that's when you can come back after reviewing the contract and say, look, in this example, uh, we want to make sure there's a special condition put in there to say it's professionally clean before settlement. So those little line items can be added in, as you mentioned, in the contract before signing that contract and going unconditional. If you put all these in when making the offer, like, wow, this person's too hard to deal with, we're just going to accept the other offer. Yeah, and you know, if it is a tight market, which it is in a lot of places still, good luck. Correct. But if the property's been on market for flipping five years and they don't want to get it moving, yeah, they story. might be like, yeah, we'll leave some congratulation balloons in the property and mm. we'll, yeah. like, <laughs> do whatever you want like, yeah. to get the deal across the line. Hey, there's a question here from Erin. Hi all, does anyone know of any superannuation funds that do not allow early release of funds for things like hardship? Trying to get an overseas pension moved over here and this is one of their requirements. We're not going to camp on this too long, but there are some rules, particularly with superannuation and financial hardship that are set at a government level, not at a fund level. So you might have a really tough thing there. So for example, financial hardship condition of release. So you've proved to, so in practice, what you do, if you're struggling, you go to Centrelink and say, hey, we're struggling. We've got proof that our mortgage is behind. We've got proof that we're legitimately in financial financial hardship. Centrelink will basically, I'm loosely paraphrasing, it could be a little bit electronic now, but they'll basically give your letter to give you to your fund for your fund to release the money to you. Like with medical, if you need a a medical event or um, some weight loss surgery or anything like that or IVF, some of this stuff can leave super, but you've got your first port of call. You don't call your super fund and say, hey, I need a lap band or I need some IVF. You don't call your super fund to do that. They'll go, go away, go to Centrelink. Once we get the permission from the government, then we'll release the money. So just on overseas pensions, it's getting harder and harder to move money down into Australia. I'll give you an example. When moving money over from the UK, you had to have a super fund that was a QROPS fund, which basically means it's listed on the HMRC's Qualified Recognised Overseas Pension Scheme, so QROPS. And a lot of funds in Australia aren't really listed on that scheme anymore. And I'll give you an example why. To bring money over to Australia and put it in your everyday super fund, this is back before a lot of the funds stopped doing it. If you took some of your super that you had your ordinary balance here and you moved money from UK pension scheme into your Australian super fund and you pay for life insurance with that money or some emergency surgery or early access for financial hardship, technically you're in breach from HMRC in the UK. So what people were doing is one, setting up a separate fund just to quarantine the UK pension money or setting up a self-managed super fund. So I don't know what country that you're talking about here, but effectively every fund in Australia must allow an early release such as financial hardship because that's what the law says. Dan said... I've received an inheritance of about 500K. What would you do with this money if you were in my situation? I have a mortgage of approximately 250K and hex debt of approximately 40K. Uh, Sorry, Dan, if the inheritance was due to a a death, Um, but it's not always the case. 
there is a big transfer of wealth going on between older boomers and Gen Xs and millennials at the moment. But the money walked in the door. What are you doing with it, John? What do you think? Oh, new Prado, your bogan. <laughs> no, new boat. New boat. Uh, look, we've got to carve it off into a few different areas. First of all, we've got to have a comfortable emergency fund. We've got to understand what our current cash flow system is and, and we hopefully we're saving money regardless of whether this inheritance came along or not. Mm. Um, are we getting rid of the house debt? We're, I would be putting 250 against the offset on that or in the offset against that 250. Really? First and foremost. Wow. But I'd still be paying it down as quick as I can, no doubt about that. We are different kittens. We, we are. are. This is what makes it interesting, isn't it? Uh, so that leaves, presume he's already got emergency funds, he's got his cash flow mm. in order because he's a switched on individual. Uh, that leaves him with another 250 to play with. Mm. Pay down the hex debt, oh, I'm not fussed about that. To be honest. Oh, my, we are so different. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Get out of my house. Yeah. I'd go to a financial advisor in the space of ETFs or superannuation. Mm. I think the age is the big thing. How far is he away from retirement and what is his interest levels in either property or shares? Because I firmly believe that we want to go down that path that we understand the most and we have the most interest about when it comes to wealth creation. Um, that's a, a quick one-minute summary. What are you doing? Everything you're not, basically. <laughs> Look, what I'm probably doing, number one, rule of thumb with inheritances, throw it in an online saver if you want or if you've got an offset account, throw it in there, whatever. Just keep your mitts off it for at least three months. We're not doing anything with well, it. Why wouldn't it sit in the offset? In oh, the well, that's what I said if you've got an offset account. Okay. Like, um, All right, so you're doing the same as what I've done. No. We're saying we're not making any big decisions for a few months. Yeah, okay. We're going to sit on the money and feel the money. Sure. What I'm personally doing, first off, after I've simmered on the money for three months, I'm calling the bank and saying, hey, bitches, close the mortgage. I am debt free. Really? Probably. Now. For what reason? Just the feeling of not having a mortgage. Yep. And then probably what I'm doing. But that that's half of the money gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, remember. Because of your spending habits? Like, yeah, that and just mm. like what type of a blessing to your life getting an inheritance which would enable you to not have a mortgage repayment. Mm. Now, I probably would, like I'm being a bit dramatic, but I'd probably walk it back. I would really, and depending if you've got a spouse or partner, because $500,000, that's life-changing. And my rule with inheritances is most of it needs to be invested to one, not only benefit your life, quote unquote, which could mean invested as in I don't have a mortgage anymore, but we're building future wealth, future generational wealth or whatever. Sure, you might go, all right, well, we need a new 20 grand car, go and buy a car. Like, But wholesale, it's got to be not consumed and put to work, there would be a, a discussion there about can we give some money away to a charity of our choice and all that. Basically, like everything in our financial life, it comes back to personal financial goals and values. Now, what I'm probably doing is booking an appointment with uh, the team at Sufficient Funds and doing an hour, hour and a half 
defining sufficient session, which is effectively a big life goal setting session. And you might do that over the three months that the money's on simmer. Because what we need to look at is, depending on our age, if we've got a family, if we haven't, the house and the mortgage, they could be living in a fibro shack that they bought as a stepping stone. So I think what needs to happen is we're pressing reset on our life. Okay, well, we do want to upgrade our next home. Maybe it is. If it, again, if it makes their life better, maybe the goal is, well, we're just going to put that full $500,000 towards the next home, still have a very small mortgage because then that's done. Then we're going to focus on that small mortgage the next 10 years and then we can start building wealth as well. Or we're happy with the house we live. We've just renovated it. We've done well, clear the mortgage, put some money, catch up super if anyone's behind in the relationship. If we're if there's kids on the way, we might set up a little account for future kids. I mean, getting $500,000, it's a really bad problem to have. You know what I mean? Like, because you've just got so many options. Yeah, you can and, balls it up, can't you? But the thing is, we're not pretending we're rich. We're not buying two brand new cars, mm. tandem jet skis on a trailer. We're not doing any of that stuff. We've got to go back to how can we honour this money and the person's legacy who gave it to us? Mm. And if it did mean, okay, we are paying off the mortgage and if we were paying $3,500 a month mortgage repayment at the time because they were paying a bit extra or whatever, mm. it could be, all right, well, from now on, we're putting two grand a month in future investments, whether it's South Sac up to the 27.5 cap, whether it's some in South Sac, whether it's just topping up the insurance premium in the super fund, but we're getting the habit of we are continuing to not, because effectively, and this is why like I've had so many of these conversations with people in a goal setting session, effectively, if you paid off the house with that inheritance and the mortgage, quote unquote, you didn't invest that for the future and you just increase your lifestyle you're basically just consuming the inheritance. Correct. So that's why it just has to be like very strategic and hear me loud and clear, sure, buy a nice new car, sure, pay off some consumer debt if you've sorted, like you said, John, your cash flow. We're not just cleaning up debt if we haven't worked on the habits because that's a waste of the inheritance. Mm. So one part you haven't answered. So we- Hex we, and help. You've agreed or we've disagreed yeah. that you're paying the mortgage down, I'm not. Yeah. I want to keep more flexibility in his life. Yeah. Are you paying down the hex? Yeah, get rid of it. Housekeeping. Mm. So what you're doing, I'm not saying you're right or wrong, mm. but probably wrong in my mind, yeah. is like 250 paid down plus the 40 gone. There's 290 of the 500 that yep. we're not getting back today. Yeah. Yeah, you're comfortable with that? Yeah, because we've just added a lot more breathing space in our day-to-day and that allows us to plan for the future and have a little bit more options. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and if it does mean like if there was a partner who wanted to go back to part-time work while we start a family, mm. sure, quote-unquote, we are consuming that, but it's kind of strategic as in that inheritance has allowed one partner to be a half-time parent or a full-time parent. Absolutely. All right. You've been real. I've been Glenn. And this is my millennial money. We'll see you next time. Say bye, John. Oh, bye. <laughs>
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Radio. So we talked, I touched on it before and you know how we talked about like you've only got your health and you've only got your time and all that stuff. This morning I was at a cafe trying to do some work and there was this older gentleman next to me. He was from overseas. He'd lived in Australia for 40 years and we got chatting. Anyway, he goes on this tangent about everything's a setup and a game and when I moved to Australia, I was on this much money and the banknote used to say it's redeemable for gold. Now the banknote says it's a, basically an IOU and I'm thinking, uh-oh, we've got a tin hatter on our hands. Anyway, so then he went down this just full-on downloading at me about you've got to have Bitcoin and gold only, everything else is a game, everyone's brain, like the full-on like and I'm just like, all right, I've got stuff to do. But he was like going at me and you've only – one thing certain in life, you're going to die. That's the only thing. Money's not real. It's not – everything's a fraud. The government's a fraud, like everything. So how's how's he think that everything's a fraud but not Bitcoin? Well, yeah, and gold because it's, 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 it's finite. All right. But next minute, he said <laughs> – what do you do with yourself? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I couldn't get a wordy while I was like I totally word. attacked. And I said, oh, I, I run an online business series of podcasts. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, what's the topic? <laughs> I'm like, money. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Did, did he go and rant again oh, or did yeah. he shut up? Yeah, I oh, know. It was just like, anyway, I'm like, oh, my parking's expired. I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> the old parking. But that's like this is the whole thing. Like in all the crap that he was propagating to me and if you believe him, whatever, he's, you know, a lot of crazy people, a lot of stuff they say is legit. Yeah, correct. But there's a lot of crap that's crazy mm. and it throws everything out, um, particularly a heap of senators in Australia. <laughs> but like I – so you'd have a point like – one th- there's one guarantee in life, isn't there? Yeah, we die. We die. We're out of yeah. here. Yeah. Because I said to him, I'm like, oh, look, my mantra type vibe lately, and I put this on my LinkedIn before, and it's like I've actually only got two things. I've got time and energy. Mm. Those two things I can't get back. No. I can go and earn more money if I spend money. That's easy. Mm. So my encouragement to everyone listening, it's a bit of a wholesome after party. 
when you're given opportunities in your life, in your career, whatever, you only have time and energy. Mm. So be very careful of who and what you give those two finite resources to. 100%. And that's why like at the end of last year, we, my time and energy, we had to stop the business podcast. Mm. I stopped a financial advisor podcast that I was doing, which was a B2B one that a lot of people wouldn't know about. Um, we've moved, like we've given the health podcast to Spendy. Um, How's that going? Oh, she's had, she's about to get it started. She had to get some yeah. stuff sorted before. Yeah. Um, the Gen Z money one. Like we just had to, as a business owner, I had to press reset and go, hang on. Because mm. as much as like someone else hosts those other podcasts, right? At some point, it still occupies my sphere. Yeah. Of it's part of the business model. Energy. And mm. like, cause I've still got to be involved even though if I'm not on the ground. So mm. that's why like we did a complete kind of coal. And when we put, when I put my time and energy to something, there has got to be a fruitful outcome. Mm. If not, what am I doing? I'm, it just means I'm actually wasting time and energy. Yeah. You're essentially going backwards, aren't you? Yeah. But there's, but you know, there's, obviously charitable things and you do nice things for people that uses your time and energy, mm. but it's a choice. It's not a guilt. And that's the nah, difference. Like that's if, right. if I choose to help someone with my time and energy, mm. that's a gift that I've chosen. But if I'm doing stuff under obligation or guilt yeah, or just because that's always, always been done, that's the way it's always been done. That's the trap. Yeah. Well, we've all got 168 hours in the week. It's, it's how we divvy them up and we need to do them. We need to use them the way we want to use them. And a lot of people aren't doing that. And I think that's the sad mm. part about it. So there you go, everyone. That's your reminder. Today, this week, when you're planning the rest of the year, you've only got time and energy. Make sure when it's used, you're getting the best value out of that expulsion of time. Expulsion? I don't know. Are they new shoes? Oh, newish. What? Is it? Oh, s- how do you pronounce that brand? I don't know. Superga? Uh, some of that. Hmm. Comfy. Superga, hey? John's wearing white Superga shoes. Now we're going right to the bottom of the barrel and our talk and the after party. Um, oh, guess what I've got in my pocket? Vitamins. <laughs> I forgot to take them at lunch. Do you want to know about my vitamins? Party pills. So there's a study done. Everyone look up B3 as a tablet. You're really on this health wagon, aren't you? Well, not really. There's, so there's a study that's been done. It's on the Cancer Council website. If you take B3 once a day, if you're in a high risk um, for um, non-melanoma skin cancers... Oh. Um, the study was taking B3 every day reduces by 20% the risk of a skin thing and also sunspots. So they're all B3 tablets? No, that's um, B3. I'm still taking, well, I don't know, this might be a waste of money, but I've got, you know how I had COVID? Uh. I had COVID for the first time, everyone. 
um, at the end of February and I, my legs were still aching and sore in my joints. Uh. Like, and I was still a bit fatigued for maybe three weeks after it. Mm. And I felt like my legs were crampy. Uh. So I've just got some magnesium just to see if that helps. And then just some fish oil, good for your joints. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm not heaps into vitamins, but <laughs> apparently I am. Yeah, it looks like you are. Anyway, I usually have them with food at lunch, so. Um, all right, see ya. Are we done? Yeah. Okay, bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.